Hi, thanks for listening to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend, and yes, that really is actually my name. I'm a 47-year-old married mother of two. I live in Switzerland. I have a pretty nice life here in the mountains, dealing with, you know, perimenopause, anxiety, motherhood, being a wife, all those things, and trying to figure it all out with a sense of humour and a large pinch of salt. I'm talking to incredible women on this podcast about friendship, community, self-care, mental health, living more adventurously, sport, motherhood, sex, you name it, we're chatting about it. Please join me as I try to get into what these women from all walks of life do to stay healthy, happy and sane. Do they feel supported by a community? Do they have friends they can count on? Do they struggle with motherhood or life after the intensity of motherhood? How do they look after themselves in their daily lives as they achieve these incredible things? And what are their top tips for living with adventure, success and things that sometimes bring high adrenaline into their lives? I'm on a journey to look after myself better and a mission to talk to other women so that none of us feel alone with this crazy, crazy life. And so we can all be a little bit inspired by someone who has pushed boundaries and or made herself and her goals a priority. I'll be here every Thursday with a new episode. If you listen and you like, please leave me a review. Also, I'd love to hear from you if you have suggestions of women I could talk to. Any profession, any achievement, anything or anyone you think would encourage and inspire other women to lead better and more fulfilled lives. You can follow and DM me on Instagram on chatting to a friend. Thanks very much. In the fourth episode, I'm chatting to Lucy Shepherd, professional explorer and adventurer. Can you even imagine that that was your job title? So cool. At only 28 years old, she has been at this for a decade and in that time has been on expedition from the Arctic to the Amazon, on foot, on skis and always in extreme conditions. A funny, insightful and enthusiastic chat with some deeper messages for us all about how to bring a sense of pride and achievement into your daily life. At 23, Lucy was made a Fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and is currently the youngest board member of the Scientific Exploration Society. Both titles she holds with great pride. Hi Lucy, thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's very exciting to have you on. I've just been reading your website and it's it's so exciting. It's just like a girl's own adventure list of amazing places and things to do around the world. <laughs> yeah, no, I like to, I definitely like to get around. And so, um, as I said in my intro, 28 years old, but already a decade of exploring and adventuring under your belt. Can you give us, well, I'm going to do a quick rundown of what I have understood. The Arctic, the Alps, Norway, Bolivia, the Amazon, Iceland, Russia, Alaska. I'm sure there are more, (laughs) but, um, you know, so, but lots of different types of adventures. So ski mountaineering, cross-country skiing, trekking, even adventure racing, which uh, is is a whole myriad of of adventures in itself. Could you give me your top three and why they were so exciting? I'll give it a go. Um, The ones that come to mind, I mean, the most recent expedition, luckily I managed in 2020 to go away. Um, At the start of this year, I did a big trek um, and traverse across a part of the Amazon rainforest. Um, And it was just me and five other Amerindian guys. And it was just such a special expedition for many reasons. One of the way nothing like that had been done before. The dynamic between myself and the Amerindians was very, very special. 
Uh, and the jungle was always somewhere that I never found very well. No one finds it comfortable, but I, out of all the sort of disciplines and areas and environments, I always found it quite intimidating. Um, but this time I felt like, you know, I'd cracked it and now I can't wait to get back to the jungle. And that sort of opened up, a, you know, endless possibilities now. So that was a very, very, very good expedition. Um, and also one that I thought was going to be quite a small adventure last year. Um, I ski mountaineered across the High Sierras and it was just myself, um, my climbing partner and boyfriend, Tim, and also one of our very good friends who we climbed Denali with, Matt. And we originally thought it was going to be sort of a short, you know, less than a week um, adventure, skiing these beautiful mountains, climbing up sort of straightforward, just um, east to west. And it was anything but, it was so treacherous, treacherous. There were so many things that came out of that. And there were times that we really thought that one, we might not make it ourselves, but two, you know, we might, we may have had to turn around and things like that. And as a result, it, it just became such a proud moment. And I think our, our sort of team spirit together was something that I really hold closely in my, in my heart. It was such a, such a great experience. And it's always best when you share things. I, I'm a strong believer of that. And I suppose the final, final number three, what would that be? I think probably uh, my first ever expedition because that kickstarted it all. And that was to Svalbard for 10 weeks in um, up in the Arctic. And that was sort of the first time I realized that this is something that something that I was relatively good at, something that I was you know, very eager to learn more about. And that just started it all, really. <laughs> 10 weeks of the Arctic sort of does that to you. That's incredible. Ten weeks from from never having experienced it before. You just said that you knew you were good at it. What does that mean? How does one know that one is good at adventuring and, you know, <laughs> living in remote parts of the world? I think if you enjoy it, if you enjoy part aspects of it that other, you know, are challenging, but you take that you take that on board and you enjoy that part of it as much as the other part, you accept that's part of it, then that's a real Good. That's a good starting point, I think. And um, I'd never, you know, I'd never been particularly good at anything much, really, growing up. And then at 18, I went off to this Arctic expedition. And I'd always been a fan of um, the likes of, I mean, he he started when I was a teenager, you know, Bear Grylls, no one really knew of him. And I was reading these books and that, you know, opened the doors to Ranulph Fiennes and people like that. And I'd read all these books and I'd read these, this word expedition and this word expedition sort of sounded so magical and mysterious. And I didn't, I was at the age where I didn't really think that that was something that I could do or that people even still did expeditions. Uh, and then I, sort of, I think it was age 16, 17, saw an advert in the paper for um, this 10 week Svalbard expedition. And it said expedition. And I sort of said, oh, you know, I can go on an expedition. And then that, that sort of created this imagination and excitement and enthusiasm just even preparing for something like that because that's as much as the of the adventure as the adventure itself isn't it you, you know there's a lot of preparation absolutely <laughs> so yeah no as soon as I was on an expedition for myself I felt like I was sort of in a storybook <laughs> that is incredible because you do think these days oh there must be nowhere in the world that people haven't gone before an expedition sort of as you say especially as a youngster, perhaps, but even now you'd think 
oh, really? Is there anything people haven't done or haven't mm. been? It sort of conjures up men in woolen suits and <laughs> yes, sort of, you know, <laughs> dying on the side of the Iger, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so how do you come up with what you want to do? Because obviously that mm. was something you saw and you joined, but presumably yeah. now you set your own agenda as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, that was the only one really that was a sort of pre-organized, you know, expedition. Um, and ever since then, I realized that I wanted to go to the places that were more remote um, and, you know, that people hadn't done necessarily done before, or very few had. Um, and I think for me, when I'm trying to decide, um, I get I get a sort of gut feeling and something in my heart, I suppose, that this urgency when I decide, like, that's it, I've got to go. I'm very quick at deciding where I want to go. And then I don't like it to be very uh, much sort of too too long from the preparation point to going. So I, if it's very remote, that's a big part. If I haven't heard of it, that's a big bonus. So there's lots of, <laughs> lots of places or areas in countries that I've never heard of. And then if it's got a big journey, oh, it attracts me. But for, I mean, you say that people, People do think that there's nothing left to explore, but that's so, I mean, as you know, it's so untrue. There are so many parts of, well, the sea, the ocean is the obvious one, mm. but then even the jungles, um, where I was in the Amazon, yes, people had been in and out of that area, but no one, there was no record of anything. And I was with Amerindians who they were under the impression that no one had done what we were doing. You know, we were going into that whole um, expedition, not knowing how long it would take. Uh, it was very unknown. We, as soon as we stepped foot into that deep jungle, it was very much like, okay, this is up to us. This is, um, we just have to take each day as it goes. And by doing that, you know, it would be very demoralizing if you actually had a proper plan because the jungle throws everything at you. And, mm. um, you know, there'd be days where you were only doing two kilometers when you, you so, yeah, that's, it's ridiculous. And you say two kilometers in, eight, 10 hours, um, but you just have to just have to roll with it and accept that that's the kind of thing that the jungle environment um, leads to. Do you think that, I mean, have you always been a patient person? There must be an element of patience in these sorts of urgency crossed with patience, because as you say, mm -hmm. two kilometers in eight hours is sounds soul destroying, but perhaps you, ha as you say, you have to roll with it and understand that that in itself is an achievement. Yeah, I know. I, th I would I would class myself as a patient person, and just know if you know if, if if something's out of your control, then you have to accept that with everything, and that goes with you know, weather condition conditions when you're climbing. Um, that goes with like if how you're feeling. Um, if you, I mean, if if it's something so bad that you can't control it, then you just have to calculate what you can control and figure out what you what you can do from then on, and then go from there. I think. Yeah, talking of which, I read on your website about having been stuck in a tent for two weeks on the side of Denali. Yeah. So that sounds insane. <laughs> people would say that. I like, honestly, that um, that two weeks, I really, it just blurred into one. I can't remember being that bored at all. It's very strange. I think I was a bit delirious. <laughs> Tell us about that. What? How did that come about? And how did you feel? And how did you keep up morale and, and all that sort of stuff? Well, um, Denali is, um, sorry, Denali is in Alaska, and it's known for having these mega storms. And myself and three others, three friends, so it was a team of four, um, started planning this expedition. And I sort of uh, took on quite a lot of the logistics side of things. And everything I was reading about Denali kept talking about these storms that last, you know, they can last days. 
um, and sometimes they would even last 10 days or something like that. Mm. And I was reading this, and but then I, I found it a bit confusing that a lot of teams, when they went, they would only take sort of 21 days of food. So they would expect, even, and that would be allowing for, you know, a storm. Um, but that didn't make much sense to me because if you wanted to give your best um, your best crack at the mountain, then you should take as much food as you possibly can in case this happens. Mm. Um, especially as you you know you take a sled a pulk um, halfway up the mountain anyway. Okay. Um, before you start the climb, and so we decided to take as much food as we could possibly take, which I think was thirty two days in the end. Wow. Um, so eleven more days, eleven days more than others would take. And, you know, would you believe it, as soon as we set off, it's bright blue sky and it's beautiful weather, you know, cold and freezing, but just lovely. And then we think we're going quite slow because we've got all this food. Um, and then we reach a uh, 14,000 foot camp and the weather starts to roll in uh, and it starts to get you know, minus 40. And then the winds start to pick up and then the snow starts to come and you're constantly digging out your tent because um, it's just, you know, you're getting you keep sinking into the snow so much and getting um, piles of snow on top of you and then the days just started rolling by and rolling by and um, you know other teams were really struggling and having to risk um, going back down the mountain because they didn't have enough food Mm. Um, or they would be starving their tent knowing that as soon as it um, the sun came out that they would have to go down instead of going up Mm. but yeah we were we we were sort of happy as Larry just sitting sitting in our tent um, eating our (laughs) rations having a rest um I don't know two I mean two weeks in it's one of the Hillyberg tents so I mean if you on Denali it is so cold if you're not moving it's frighteningly cold wow. so you're either in your sleeping bag or doing something mm-hmm. um otherwise it's just a, a bit of a panic quick 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 so yeah I just spent a lot of my time either digging out the snow or um melting a lot of snow because it takes a long time to melt the water for your food and um, melt the snow sorry for your food and water Oh, yeah, in my sleeping bag. But it was. Uh, I, I, it sounds like excellent preparation for lockdown, being stuck yeah. in a small space for. I think that's right. A lot of napping. <laughs> Amazing. And, and relationships between the team were fine. Everybody played their part. Nobody freaked out. Yeah, I mean, the, so I was in a tent um, with Tim, and then there were the other tent had two, um, Matt and Will, and there would be days went by that we didn't actually see them. Wow. Um, but we'd be shouting to them through the walls. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think everyone was just as patient and accepting, you know, this is this is where we are. We knew this was going to be tough. Um, you know, the best, as long as everyone is okay and healthy, mm-hmm. and that's the most important thing. And I, I'm definitely very keen, or I always go with like-minded team members so mm. egos just don't exist that that can't be a thing I cannot go with people who um you know will go gun, gun-ho and will yeah. do anything to reach that summit or whatever mm. so I think as long as we're all caring for each other and everyone's looking after each other and you know if someone needs to stop um and whether it be a blister or adjusting something that will make whatever we're doing the climb or scheme more comfortable than they do it and I think we make I think setting that out early on um, yeah. expectations is very very important um, and then you can't really go wrong it is very important to understand how you behave under duress I yeah uh, I have experience of that not two weeks on the side of a mountain I hasten to add but <laughs> um so you've mentioned a couple of times uh, already so when you felt near death and how you 
feel about that? Because I also I read your report about the or I heard what you talking about the first time you were in Guyana and they were stalked by the Jaguar. <laughs> Obviously, you and I watched your video about being in the High Sierras and you know some sketchy moments. I know mountains and I I I know the fear of thinking. I don't know if we will get out of this. Yeah. And obviously there have been other times, perhaps you didn't feel near death on Denali, but it must have started to feel like a flipping long time being stuck there. Mm. What do you do? Do you have self-talk? Do you distract yourself? How do you cope with that level of this could be it? I think a lot of it comes down to before I even leave. Um, So I spend a lot of my time, as soon as I've decided on the expedition, I spend a lot of my time mentally preparing. Mm. Um, not it's, it's not so much on purpose, but I do it. I think I do it naturally. I start to think, okay, what will it feel like if this happens, or if we are on the side of the mountain and we have misjudged it and it's avalanche risk, or you know, wild animals or things like that. So I start putting daydreaming and putting myself in that scenario and thinking, you know, how would I cope? And I think I always sort of cope the same way. I sort of go, oh, thought thought this would happen or didn't actually think this would happen, but now it's happening. I better get on with it. Um, And it's happened. It does happen quite a lot. And I think the only time where I've really started to think this is this is too much and start to feel bad for my family and the people that you leave behind was um, when I was climbing in Tajikistan, um, because everything about that just felt wrong um i'm very strong believer about trusting your gut and Mm. trusting your instinct and if it's all been fine up until a small point then there's like like i was talking about earlier you know it's out of your control you know you know that you go to these places and there are these risks and you take that sort of accepting factor and being focused and just doing what you can to eliminate any risks but if you've had that like in tajikistan i had a constant bad feeling about the whole thing um that i guess gives you more time to think about it and that guilt and sort of yeah just thinking I did I this is not a place where I want to die <laughs> it's strange you should mention that I've actually heard other people who have been in these situations very very real near death on expeditions or on adventures and mm. that is what they think about they think about the people that they love and what a disaster this will be for them not yeah. about I'm gonna die they're yeah. just thinking yeah. about thinking oh man <laughs> it's gonna be terrible <laughs> yeah like what a shame <laughs> that sort of thing I think that's how I felt I actually had um the most recent one because I, I did the, the Amazon this year and there was there was one day in particular that was absolutely terrifying but because there was so much to think about on that day and to um, make sure I didn't die um there wasn't much time to think like that but actually when I've completed that expedition I had to get a very very small plane back to the city which I've done before and it's been absolutely fine but in my gut there was something wrong about this plane and I've been on helicopters that just I later found out that the pilots who were flying it were not actually pilots Mm. Um, and this I started to get a similar feeling and the weather came in and suddenly it was that sort of monsoon weather in a cloud with mountain, jungle mountains everywhere and the plane was jumping all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, I've crossed these whole mountains. <laughs> and now I'm going, you know, I've been celebrating that I've completed this expedition. And now, for goodness sake, I'm going to die in a plane crash. And then just started to think about all those people back home. I remember trying to put my iPod on 
And I was like, <laughs> I was chasing the music, thinking this will take my mind off it. There's un- an unbelievable amount of music that has the word fall or goodbye <laughs> or, you know, it's lovely to, it was been lovely to be here. And now it's time to go and things like that. I just couldn't get, couldn't get out of it. <laughs> and so you must build up a huge amount of sort of adrenaline and cortisol and and I, and I know from my own sort of adventures that there's there are two sides to that disappearing. One is the sort of post-event blues of, oh, well, normal life feels a bit dull. Yeah. And obviously there's a slight, sometimes there's a slight relief that, oh, well, all the planning and all the journey and all the everything is over and I can just sort of sit and drink a cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, that sort of stuff builds up in your system, you know, and it can become... A, addictive and B, not terribly good for you because there's that old, you know, the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system where your body is in constant fight or flight because it's so used to the adrenaline hits. Mm. How do you come down from events or events, expeditions and stuff so that you feel safe and ready and healthy enough to to start again? Well, I think... Um, because of from my first expedition to Svalbard, um, when I came back from that, I hit the sort of post-expedition blues, like you talk about, like mm. I, hit it, I hit it hard. Um, and because I'd never really experienced that before. And I, I mean, it was the start of a sort of eating disorder. I was very mm. miserable to be around. Um, you know, I started getting addicted to running to fill that gap and things mm. like that. Um, so I, I, yeah, for about, you know, six months, to then, I mean, it sort of lasted for a couple of years, really. I had this feeling of, wow, every, you know, because everyone kept saying about that expedition, you know, wow, what an amazing once in a lifetime experience. Mm-hmm. And they say that when you get back. And to hear that after you finish something, as if that's it, you know, that's, yeah. that's the best it can be. Like now you're off to university and get a real job. Yeah, real life starts now. <laughs> yeah, and they kept saying that. And I, I you know, refused to believe that that would be the case. Um, and I never wanted to, you know, join the military or anything like that. So that wasn't an option. And that seemed like the only option, you know, from the people that you read about who do these things. Um, so I, I did accept that that might be, that might be it. And I have to find my, find the kick elsewhere. But um, it was actually sort of meeting Neil Lawton, who I know is a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. He um, gave me this sort of self-belief that actually I could take this further and I could keep doing it. Um, when I saw that he was still doing, you know, he'd been doing things, um, you know, all the time, that mm. gave me the the confidence to believe that actually, you know, there is this whole world out there of people doing these things. Um, I can tap into it. I just have to figure out how to fundraise. I have to figure out how to get the skills and go from there. Um, so now every time I return from an expedition, I prepare myself for it and I sort of reflect on, um, I sort of start to relive it. And I also film every expedition. Mm. And so by filming it, I then come back. Um, when I get back, a few weeks after I get back, I'll start editing it and going through the footage. And I sort of relive it that way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I sort of start. Sort to, of pros- processing it a bit. Exactly. And you start to think, because you're so um, on edge the whole, not on edge, but you're so alert and thinking about the mm. present constantly when you're there. You don't actually realize what an incredible experience it was until you get back. <laughs> seems a bit of a shame doesn't it, it does. <laughs> it's proper type two fun <laughs> oh it's a hundred percent type two fun. <laughs> how 
And when do you often get asked, do you still get asked, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to, you know, because you've been doing this for a decade. So you've pretty much proved that this is a something you can do, are good at, but also that you can sustain a life doing. Do you still get asked about that? I mean, I think it depends. It's very much a reflection of the person if they're asking Mm. it now. Um, So if they are, you know, I think you're not really you're not really in that that same world if they're sort of saying so when are you going to like push it like they presume that as soon as you know you start a family or something like that then that's it you're going to stop it's like when's that ever been the case for you know men you know never, men have never been asked that so I mean I, I remember my parents for a couple for the first couple of years started to think you know this can't last forever you know <laughs> and then uh things started to come from it and skill level went up and actually now they they look at the pictures when I get back and they realize or they have for some time they realize that the smile on my face on those pictures I can't I it's not the same smile as it is in um in day-to-day life it's definitely a very very happy proud you know smile out there (laughs) you can't hide in the outdoors no oh that sounds amazing and in terms of friendships obviously now you have a a very firm well I hope you have a firm base of friendship based on your adventures and people that you can do these sorts of things with but at the age of 18 when you decided to sort of take on this thing or when you were leaving university saying yeah I'm just going to go off and tackle the world yeah did people you know you you mentioned you touched on the once in a lifetime opportunity did did you have friends who got it or was it just quite hard to find people who weren't, you know, I've heard before of adventurers and explorers and things saying that people got a little bit, no, well, I'm settling down to real life, so you should be too. And there's this kind of envy and a little bit of, you know, not it's not much fun because there's this sort of clash between what they think they should do and what you that you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think um, for a while, people, a lot of people thought it was just sort of an extended holiday, mm. which really, really got to me because it's like, well, I, I know what you're saying because it's, it, you know, for me, it is something that I get secondary en- enjoyment from, but it's also a sort of career and lifetime thing that I'm doing. And I, I would, I think I'm very firm believer about you know I think people have talked about this before but people are either drains um or are they radiators I think is the idea um so people can either drain the energy from you um, and you really feel it if if I start talking about some expedition and I I very rarely will start talking about expeditions because I am aware that people um the you know the wrong sort of people don't don't want to hear about Mm. it and I don't want to you know I don't want to share anything if people people aren't interested at all of course um, but if someone sucks the energy out of you, then you have to question why, you know, why are you hanging around with them in the first place? You, know, you should definitely, we should all try to um, radiate energy and give off enthusiasm and try and motivate others. Uh, so I, I guess it started to make me think, you know, who am I friends with and who are my closest pals? And, you know, if they're encouraging for this because they see it's something that I can't really live live without, then... And that's that's what you want, really. And do you get the opportunity to pass this on to young people now? Because it's something that, especially in these crazy COVID times, you know, people are stuck a lot of the time with the people that they are stuck with. Yeah. Do you get the opportunity or do you take the opportunity when you can to sort of express this to people that, you know, finding the right community, finding the people that support you and, you know, 
love you for all your craziness mm-hmm. and as you say radiate energy is that something you are able to pass on I am actually starting a sort of a vlog on YouTube because mm-hmm. you know we're all stuck at home um so I am actually starting something to share this knowledge while I while I'm here in my house and other people are stuck in their house you know what what can we all do to try and get through this together um but I mean when I do these that I haven't been doing them recently, but when I'm doing them in person, these talks, you can really feel it's often the quiet ones and it's the ones that don't ask the questions when you when the, with the questions at the end that come up to you and they've got that twinkle in their eye that I remember having when I would watch mm-hmm. someone that would give you, I mean, it's not much, it just gives you something to think, oh, maybe I can, I, maybe I can do that. Mm-hmm. And it might not be to do with the venture at all, but it might just be, everyone needs a little motivation and self-belief and everyone needs to top it up all the time. Yeah. I said, I always need to top it up and things like exercising every day is a very good way to do that. And that tops, tops your sort of the, the way you think about yourself yeah. up all the time, doesn't it? Uh, as soon as you stop doing exercise for a day, two days or more, I mean, I feel my productivity and uh, my forward thinking definitely, definitely goes down a lot. Uh, absolutely and I, I I've had a well I was not sporty at all till I was nearly 40 and then I just sort of went and did some big stuff but I it's still not it is still not part of my makeup I find it so hard I have to make okay. myself exercise because I know that it's good for me and I know that mm-hmm. I feel better afterwards um whereas I'm married to an exercise addict who if he doesn't do something you know, as you say, two days without exercise and he's like a bear with a sore head. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, things like that. And I also, I was listening to one of your, it seems to be in a year of podcasts for you. I was listening to a podcast you did earlier in the year and you said something that really um, resonated with me, which was finding out, finding where you are happiest and what makes you happiest and do more of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have to, like, for me, obviously, I love being in the Arctic and the jungles. I can't do that every day. That's just not <laughs> practical. Um, but what is that feeling that you get from that? And it is not. It is most often a feeling of feeling proud of yourself um, and feeling, you know, just content and satisfied with how things are going. So if you can figure out what, you know, on a small scale, what does that for you, um, then you can do that whenever you feel like you need a little bit more, um, a bit of oomph. I couldn't agree more because just to sort of link back the two things that you've just said, one about the the people who are listening but don't ask questions until the end and that feeling proud of yourself. When I was about 25 or 6, I heard Chris Moon speaking, um, at, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a former British soldier who got kidnapped by the Khmer Rouge and oh, then yeah. he lost yeah. an arm and leg in a landmine explosion and I mean his story is just incredible and I heard uh, him speak and he talked about that and he talked about going on to complete the marathon de sable and just this part of me that was like just completely speechless at the wonder and thinking and it sparked something in me and at the time I was hard working sort of hard drinking just you know partying and didn't really do any sports so I kind of tucked it away yeah and then something Almost 20 years later, I find myself a middle-aged mother of two running in the very first half marathon de Saab, you know, in the deserts of, of the Canary Islands yeah, and finishing 
with that feeling of, oh my God, I cannot believe I managed to do that. But I can, yeah. I imagine. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I wrote at the end of my blog, find, find something that makes you feel this good yeah. and just keep doing it. Absolutely. Because it's the most extraordinary feeling. And I can understand why you keep searching for it, even yeah. though there are obviously very real reasons why you do what you do and I'm coming back to that but it's just that that searching for that feeling it is it is and you can get it like I if even if you're just doing a hard running session or something up a hill Mm. um, I found myself I think just after the arctic when I was doing a lot of running um, I would go back to feeling like if, if it was hard that that run in particular I would think hey you know you've you've done this arctic you know you can do this feel proud of yourself like just believe in yourself and if you can feel proud of yourself then there's no better person to look up to so you should always look up to yourself and that doesn't it doesn't matter if it's your past self and it's not your current self you know you can get back there um and so to just keep keep finding that feeling and then you can't um exactly it's, it is addictive. It is, addictive. it is. But I find it. I also get it. If when I get up in the morning, kids are out to school and yeah. I tackle the most annoying thing of the day. First. Yeah, I do as well. Actually. You just, well, I, I don't always. Yeah. But on the days that I do, I think, hey, check yeah. this out. And then your day seems like 12 hours longer than it would have been. It does. I completely agree. It's not, I mean, I, I have a saying that I first came, came um came to learn it in the Insvalbard and it's don't lose your botheredness and what that essentially means is as soon as um you know the thought or the word I can't be bothered pops into your head and that can be about anything that could be about taking the bins out or oh I really can't be bothered to change the sheets or things like that as soon as it happens it obviously is going to be a burden if you don't do it for the rest of the day so do it straight away so my rule is as soon as I start I obviously can't I'm not superhero I can't do it all the time um but as soon as I think you know I can't be bothered then I just got to rip off the bandage and you know go go and do it straight away and that makes the day or the task so much better and on expedition it can be a life Mm. life or death scenario you know even if it's I can't bother all my my crampons slightly loose I can't bother to do it right now because I'm gonna if I do it now then everyone will have to stop or Mm. I won't get to catch up and there's this all I mean you you must know it there's this constant thing when you're with a team is you're not wanting to hold people back but you so if something happens that actually you would benefit from sorting but it might be a bit of a faff and it might cause a bit of oh it's fine um just do it otherwise something much worse could happen and I'm sure lots of things that happen um when things go wrong it's always one lots of small things going wrong at one time well it's ex- I do know that because I did um ski mountaineering race the Patrouille des Glaciers from Zermatt to Verbier a couple of years ago with two very good friends of mine and we'd been through the whole how do we react what do we do if someone's got a problem we wanted each other to you know we wanted to talk about it if, if someone was too hot too cold getting a blister you know not feeling it whatever yeah. it might be we were we were we made a team decision that we would always listen to the other, the person that was having a bit of an issue and we would stop or we would help or we would fix it or whatever. And these are the conversations that ha- people have to have. They have before. to. And they don't always, they don't always have these things and that is where things go wrong. And well, so. exactly, because halfway through the race, I was feeling, at, we were all on tip-top form. We'd had our ups and downs and I was thinking, it's not <laughs> as hard as everybody thinks. Um, but I had stopped drinking water because my camelback wasn't letting water out yeah I assumed because it was 
like three in the morning at 3000 meters that it was frozen and I had another little juice pack and you know like a little sort of energy drink thing so I was drinking away at that and I just kept thinking oh it'll be fine it'll be fine it'll be fine yeah it'll be fine and four hours later I still hadn't said anything even though I was the teammate whose job it was to say now it's time to drink now it's time to eat and I kept thinking it'll be fine it'll be fine because tiredness makes you stupid well it makes me stupid and it was a lesson I learned the really hard way because I suddenly jiggled my pack and actually it had just been kinked and there was <laughs> nothing wrong with it. But by that stage, I was massively dehydrated and going yeah. at the rate of a tortoise, yeah. which affected the rest of the team. Unfortunately, they were, also, they were both so lovely, they didn't hold it against me. But <laughs> it was, you're absolutely right. These things, you, you have to. You just have to. Fix it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just fix it. Just stop it and sort it out there and then. Um, yeah. And I um, want to sort of touch on you a little bit about the botheredness because there was also, a, it was um, accompanied by a quote by David Attenborough about the, you know, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's about people won't bother, don't care about the things that they haven't seen or experienced. Yeah. I loosely quote. Um, and ov- obviously you are a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. You're on the Council of the Scientific Exploration Society. So a couple of things come out of that for me. One is how do you stay bothered but not become overwhelmed? Because it's so huge. I watched David Attenborough's new film the other night and mm, I thought, so oh, yeah. we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> how do you keep that bothered? I will keep the second question for after you answer this, but how do you keep that sense of urgency without thinking, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't do anything? Um, I honestly think that the younger people who are coming up now, um, there's a lot that they, I mean, we should give the power to them. <laughs> they, they give me a lot of hope. And I mean, I know, we all know that the technology is there to make a greener planet. Um, it wasn't there maybe 10, 15 years ago, but it is now and it does just need some bit of investing. But I think people's, people's minds are changing and change is coming. And whether the government does it or whether it's people based through, through businesses and big companies, um, I'm very, I'm very optimistic about things. I know the world seems a bit of a very shadowy, grey place right now with everything that's going on, but I do think we will come out of this. Um, and I do, I mean, I, I think there'll be a lot of things that we'll lose, and I unfortunately think that species, more species, will of course be lost. Um, rainforests will be get close to near, near, you know, near gone, but. I think at the end of the day, we've, we have to, and so we will. And I'm, I'm seeing changes every day, and it, it sort of fills me with joy. I mean, even going up to Scotland uh, last week, since last time I went, which was six months ago or so, the amount of more wind turbines and things like that that have gone up, um, it's incredible. Like, mm. it's filled with it. Um, so if we just keep going, we, we have to you know, rapidly do more, of course, but... I just, yeah. I mean, this this world is too beautiful and too special. It's the only home we've got to not do something. So I hope the the uh, the greed and the uh, sort of selfishness can be put aside, and we can hopefully all work together on a global scale because that's essentially what needs to happen. Well, exactly. And what do you bring back? So do you attach sort of um, investigating? I suppose is perhaps not the right word, but presume you know you were away in Guyana, in a place where people had never been before. Do people ask you to bring back evidence of what's there or what's not there anymore or, or so on? 
Um, so during that expedition, um, I was, uh, as long as well as the journey itself, I was collecting at every stream or every river and water source I went by. I was taking um, water, water and sediment samples. Um, so the area I was in, it seems very, it's in the Kanuki Mountains and it's seen as very isolated and it's protected and it's, they, they're very proud of the area. Um, but and because it's so high up, it sort of, you know, doesn't necessarily get polluted. That's what they think. I was taking water samples to look for microplastics in the water mm -hmm. and sediment because obviously we're finding these things up in the Arctic. Um, it's basically snowing microplastics. Oof. So, I mean, I'm, I, because of COVID things, the research at the lab is on hold, but it will be very interesting to see what the results are and how bad it's got up there. Um, so, yeah, we, we will have to find out how, like, whether it's just on the edges of the mountains or whether it's got right into the into the depths of, of it. And did you carry samples the whole way then? Yep. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, you, know, you know, the bags got heavier. As yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is not normal on expedition. Normal. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you normally get lighter as yeah, you eat all the food. and <laughs> Exactly. You no, know, litres and litres of water. So. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Incredible. And so what is next on the agenda? Obviously, we are a little bit in hmm. hiatus for adventures. And I think you're probably very lucky and one of the few that's been able to get away on expedition this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was actually meant to be guiding quite a few um, Arctic expeditions this mm -hmm. year. I saw um, that. But of course, postponed, um, and hopefully they'll go ahead next year. So that is sort of straight away on the list, um, as well as I'm meant to be learning um, how to paraglide, because I, I think mm. it just makes um, getting off the mountain much easier. So I'm meant to be going off to Spain to do that, but that might be postponed a few weeks slash few months because of the current COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, the big expedition that I'm planning is actually back to Guyana to do um, something else, something bigger that could take as long as three months, um, wow. I'm not sure. Um, so just trying to get the funding and hopefully might have a recently got a little bit of a um, bite for that. So hopefully I can get that sorted and start planning for autumn next year. Amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and when you say you're guiding, so people can join you on some of your expeditions? Yes, that's right. So um, one of my friends who is Norwegian, uh, Liv, has a company up in northern Norway uh, called Turgleder. And um, I started guiding with her last year. And um, we're going to be doing, well, if all goes well, we'll be doing more trips across the Finnsmark Vida Plateau in Norway, um, mm -hmm. north to south and west to east. Um, but also in Svalbard as well. Um, so I'm either with her or I I'm, might be on my own or with someone else. So we'll see. And that information can be found on your website? Yeah. So, I mean, they can, anyone can email me or there's a little join me tag, um, which is the expedition for Svalbard that was meant to be this year, but it will be very similar similar next year. Um, and it's it's a very affordable it's very, very extreme expedition. Like it is very extreme and we take novices, um, but we ease people in, you know, we do the admin and the cooking to start with and the navigation and then gradually hand the reins over when we feel um, the team is confident enough and we take up to eight people. Um, and it's incredible to see the difference in, in the team at the end. And I have, just like we were talking about earlier, I talk to them about, um, you know, you're gonna get back you feel like you're on cloud nine at the moment, but you'll get back and you know nothing will have changed. You know, it's only been a week or two weeks, but nothing will have changed in, you know, your family will be the same. The um, the milk might still be in the fridge or whatever, but you will feel <laughs> very, very, very different. 
And so it's, it's sort of coaching them, you know, you might get the post-expeditionist blues, but go back to how you feel right now. Remember, you can capture mm. this feeling and go back to it anytime you feel like that. And so anybody from any walk of life sort of Anyone? reasonably fit and yeah. excited about doing something pretty hardcore. Yeah, the main the main thing is enthusiasm and up for it and then we'll take you the rest of the way. Brilliant. And so we can find out uh, on your website, which is... Uh, LucyShepherd.net. LucyShepherd.net. And on Instagram? Uh, it's Lucy Sheps. But uh, also, the, the, I will be starting a proper YouTube channel um, in, the next, in the coming weeks as well, um, where I'll be sharing tips, um, advice, and um, chatting to other adventurers and things like that. Brilliant. Well, I look forward to that, especially as you being a filmmaker, your, your films are of a higher quality than some other self-filmed films we've seen <laughs> over the years. It's brilliant. I've really... <laughs> Really enjoyed having a good old look at those living vicariously through you. <laughs> Lucy, thank you so much for joining me. Honestly, that oh, it's just brilliant. I'm staring out at the flipping rain again, but thinking, <laughs> oh, I just want to get out and go on an adventure. So thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. And um, it's got my uh, sort of adventure bug back up by talking about it. So yeah, I can't wait to get out again. Brilliant. Well, um, all the very best. And we will hear more about your adventures uh, in the years to come, I'm absolutely sure. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.